Welcome, welcome. This is Aisha Elliott with Black Girl from Eugene. I am recording and simulcasting on 97.3 KEPW, local radio station. Um, I am about to go live on my Facebook feed for the first time in a while. Most of my recordings have been pre-recorded um, for lots of different reasons. Uh, so just one moment for my podcast audience as I he head on over to Facebook real quick this video and we are live hello this is Aisha Elliott black girl from Eugene so I am broadcasting uh, from Oahu Hawaii and I'm hoping some folks can jump on and let me know if you can actually see me um, I did check the audio before I got started for my podcast listeners thank you so much uh, for hanging in with me, you guys, as the lives and the the um, posting has been a little less than timely in the last couple weeks. I've had some things go on where I've needed to be elsewhere, and I've needed to uh, try to do that work-life balance jug uh, jig that we do, right? Um, so anyway, here we are. Welcome, welcome to my show, and I'm not going to keep you too long. I'm going to try to make this, uh, um, you know, quick and precise. And what does that mean, like under an hour? Because you guys know how I am. Anyway, so you might hear some background noises. I've got birds, I've got people, I've got air conditioning running. So if you have a hard time hearing me, I'm, I apologize. But I'm pretty sure the audio should be all right. So today I'm going to talk about what I've called colonizing lies. Um, and it's because, you know, as I sit back and I'm just like watching the world, it's interesting as I'm sitting here in Hawaii for the reasons that really are not about vacation. A lot of people, I say Hawaii and people go, oh my God, yay. But I, there's actually more to do um, than here than that. And uh, yes, although how could it be hard to be in Hawaii? But at the same time, I'm not saying that it is hard. It just has let me think about some things. And at the same time, as what's going on across the world um, in Israel and Palestine and the Gaza Strip and all of this, that, you know, it just got me to thinking about colonization. Like, not that I don't think about this all of the time, but, you know, the more and more that it has become a, a generation of connectivity through the Internet and how beautiful it is that we can actually see and hear in real time, um, it's also horrifying to see in, in here in real time what's going on right in front of our faces all over the world, right? We're talking about this in a real way, this colonizing approach to human bodies and human people all over the world is in distress right now. We've got folks in Colombia. We've got folks right here in the United States. We have folks, you know, in Brazil. We have folks in uh, Palestine, in Israel, you know, fighting colonization and brutality. Um, and the issue with it is, is that I, it's, for me, I feel like our education is failing us, right? Like as United States citizens, we are standing, we are sitting here and we are reading our books and we're sending our children off to school to learn about all of the things that are going on in the world and the truth of it is, is we're giving it from a, a very much one-sided story, right? We're not actually telling the truth. We're not actually giving them what we actually need, right? Yeah, out of media too, exactly, hi. So the truth of it is, is that as we're looking at this, what, what do we really know about what's actually happening in, it, within the eyes of the oppressed? And I, I mean, I teach this work all of the time, and this is the, this is the story I'm always going to. I'm always saying what we're talking about and what we're defending and what we're trying to wiggle around and have to like defend ourselves to is white supremacy. And this colonization that's happening it, um, you know in real time, this, this defamation of like this complete not defamation, I'm sorry, but this complete erasure of culture and of history, um, is uh, is seriously, seriously disturbing to me considering that we are watching it. We are literally watching it. 
like the police officers who are who are brutalizing, murdering, and then covering it up in the United States and Colombia, right? We've got these issues in Israel and Palestine, and people are like, oh, you know, you don't really want to talk about that. You might show up as anti-Semitic. Really? Because there's there's Jewish folks on both sides. There's Jewish folks on uh, there's Palestinian Jewish people, and there's Israeli Jewish people. I mean, what, what, this is not about anti-Semitic. This is not about anti. This is not about uh, you know being uh, you know blue lives and black lives. This is like. This is colonization at its finest, and we and all of this distraction of labeling what the truth of the matter is is that this is this is a global pan. This we're talking about global pandemic. This, this is a global crisis of of colonization, and who are the colonizers? Who are the colonizers at this point? Right? I mean, I had to like. Okay, so I'm 44 years old, and I was educated in the public school system. My family is extremely, um, you know, my, my mom and my dad have always been folks who were also educated in the public system, but public school system, but as adults, you know, my dad, you know, has his own study he, uh, degrees and experience in studies that were not considered mainstream studies. So, you know, we've got philosophy and Afrocentricity uh, mindset and this Africology and, you know, ancient philosophy, Chinese Mandarin ancient philosophies that tie into to deeper philosophy of thought. You know, these things that were happening back then when they were growing up and they're in the 60s and 70s, that's, that's the, the direction my parents went, right? My mother is a nurse um, and, um, college graduate and all of these things and she's also someone who comes from a very centered space of empathy so this idea for me as I'm looking at the way that I am understanding and having the ability to see how we can actually not only read about the atrocities of colonization but actually see it on Facebook see it in real life in a way that we can't even deny it. It's not theory. And for some reason, those, the, the people, and I'm air quoting people, in charge, the white folks who are historically creating, who are, who are contributing to this historic outlook, are still in real time fighting about fake news. We're still trying to decide if the insurrection was like an insurrection. For historical purposes, why are we arguing about that? This is it. The thing about it is that we can't go into like the, the get distracted by the little he said or, or, or it's this definition or it's that definition. It is exactly what we see that it is, right? We see that it is what it is. And so I guess I'm just kind of like out here just wondering like how did we get lost in this, these small details of, of um, the bullshit? You know, I mean, to be really honest, like, and I'm thinking about this whole situation and the parallels of watching um, the Palestine-Israel, and I'm air quoting conflict, um, and just kind of like wanting to step back a minute from the drama of it, right? Meaning that like, you know, the whole anti-Semitic Palestinian right to, uh, Israeli right to land, didn't have any land, got moved into someone else's land, got them, those folks are trying to defend themselves and how they're defending themselves is not necessarily peaceful and the way that they're defending themselves is killing other people and then the other people who are being defended against are being pissed off because the other people won't move aside like I mean who from what view are we actually looking at this I mean I'm just I'm asking for everyone because If we're going to take this information from the colonizing group, right, which you can go back in history and find out who land, whose land was it first, right? And I'm talking globally. You can go back. We know that part, right? So when we're talking about recognizing what is happening 
from a viewpoint of the colonizer, I don't think that we're actually getting the accurate perspective of what happened and what should have happened and what then what happens next, right? Somehow, in the, in the dynamic of power and control, the colonizer, because they have power and control, are telling the story and then globally, we, because we are part of the colonizing group, meaning the United States, are then blaming all of the brown victims. And I'm just like, I, I'm gonna step back for a second and just kind of understand that this, this, this whole thing, this colonizing situation is something that if you're trying to be anti-racist or if you're trying to say that you're not racist, but you can pick a side based on religion and or creed, you got to understand that when you're picking that side, what level of privilege that you are actually coming from. And if it's to protect yourself and what you believe in, let's think about that because that's also what the people who are being colonized are doing. And if we're, if we're criticizing the way that they're trying to defend themselves, does that not sound familiar to how we, what we, and how we are doing things in the United States based on what we believe black folks should be doing when the police are, and the white folks are telling them how to pro protest against these kind of atrocities that are happening from the state? It's not different. I mean, tell me where the first lie is. It's not different. There's, uh, you, there, the, the truth of it is, is that if you're going, it's kind of that whole idea, if you're going to be about anti-racism, you're really talking about anti-oppression, which means you should be talking about anti-colonialism, which means you should be thinking about who in the world, literally, has the power over everyone else. It's always money over people. We know that, right? It's always money over people. But when we look at the global societies, who is hoarding the money? We all know that China owns most of the land. It is, it is pretty, pretty clear when that comes down. But when we're talking about something even when it comes to living the life on the land, when it comes to structural, cre create, the creating of the structure on that land, the money benefits who? And any one time you want to know who the oppressor is and you're confused, you look to see where the money goes. Where the money is not going and the people who are fighting are generally not controlled, but are fighting, generally are the oppressed. And what the issue is and what comes along with this is that Somehow, we have asked our children and we have asked ourselves, we have created a space where asking children and asking adults, those children that grow up into adults, and asking each other to digest the genocide of indigenous people as a necessary evil for progress. What else is, what else is it? I mean... I don't, I don't, I do not, do not want to hear an argument about how war is necessary and peace, love, and blah, blah is necessary. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is how we are justifying the genocide of indigenous people as a necessary evil, period. This is not complicated. I mean, it's not complicated. When, you know... I, I was thinking about how Joe Biden and that whole, I mean, coming from Trump and how, we're ha how we had to vote in people that the, some people were very excited about Joe Biden. Most people I know were not, um, but they were going to vote him in anyway to get this situation, get Trump out because he was a clear indication of some, some ish that we didn't want to be a part of, right? And Joe Biden is the less clear for some people. Um, and having Kamala there is then continually confusing the idea of colonization. 
Um, and I think it's super important that we step back from how we think we how we think we feel about it with the titles, and then look just look at how it lands, right? Just look how it continues to land in ways that create disparity for brown people, disparity for people without power, disparity for people without high resource. And those people are fighting back with everything they've got. And it doesn't compare because they are not resourced in the way that the colonizers are resourced. And I'm using this term colonizers because it's just simple and easy to understand what direction we're going to. They don't need a label. I don't need to call them the Israelis. I don't need to call them the United States. I don't need to call, you can just look around and see. You can look around and see what's happening. Oppression is simple like that, right? There's a very clear, you know, discretion between power and resource when it comes to colonization. And then when the people take over, they just get to take it over and say, hey, this was, our, this was us in the first place. How could it not be? How did we take over all this land if it was really yours? Then we got that kind of gaslighting situation. I mean, we are not, this is not complicated. And this is familiar for us in the United States because this is how we roll, right? This is how the United States works, and this is how we have gone along this whole time. But let's go back to the very simple question. What is the level of cognitive dissonance to allow us to teach our children and our society and make it a culture of ours to require the decimation of, a, of an entire people and equate that to necessary evil, to a necessary, to a nece to anything necessary, in order for for in the name of progress. To me, I feel like that's a real game changer of how you show up in the world, how you, how white people in particular demand a level of of comfort and righteousness to what they claim their own because they feel a certain way about it. You know, look, I am in Hawaii right now and I am grossed out by the situation, by, by seeing people come to this island and, and treat it like they deserve to be able to do whatever they feel like doing to the people, to the land, to the water, to the beaches. It's disgusting. I don't understand within the culture that there is such a cognitive dissonance to the to the necessary and for the thought that they are, are are due some sort of comfort some sort of normalcy in their perspective of normalcy and to do anything different than that is something that just cannot be comprehended it for some reason cannot be put aside. It cannot be decentered. And if it is being decentered, well, no, I'm not even going to go there because it's not. It's not being decentered. I'm just kidding. It was a joke. There is no decentering in the situation. When we start to get to the point where white folks can actually uh, get into a space and, and be uncomfortable and understand that that comfortability will bring progress and or connection because then at that point you'd be able to at that point say I am not demanding a space be anything for me other than what it was when I arrived and how do I show up in this space in order to maintain its authenticity how can I show up here how can I share how can I participate I mean appropriation is just a whole other idea of colonization you don't even recognize that shit after it's gone you be looking for the Hawaiians up in this mug like where the hell are they at Let's just be honest. Where they at? No, man. You go. I go to go buy some local honey. I go there, and it's fucking. It's some dude from California who's talking about local local Hawaii. Oh yeah, I've lived here for fourteen years. It's local Hawaii. You're not local Hawaiian. What are you talking about? As I realize that you live in Hawaii, and I realize that you're probably farming the bees on yourself by, by yourself at your farm. But dude, come on, man. Like, there's just a level of when we get past appreciation and go into straight up stealing shit. <laughs> and we get past this idea of this was our land. 
at no point, at no point was it given to the colonizing group. So we got to look at this idea when we're watching Colombia and we're watching Brazil and we're watching uh, the Palestine, the uh, Palestine and Israel and we are looking at the situation and there are certain parallels to our own lives that we can really kind of get behind and understand it. Don't get confused about whether it's, uh, you know, Zionist or, or anti-Semitic or, or not. It, there's, there's Jewish folks on both sides of the story, as far as I understand it. Correct me if I'm wrong. So all I'm saying is that at some point, at some point, where can the people, where can the people uh, have the right to say stop? have the right to say, I don't want you here. You know, is, wait, wait, at that point, is, I mean, are they wrong to fight back? Are they wrong to scream out that they're being oppressed and they cannot breathe? I'm putting that together so that you can quite understand that it is the same shit. Like, this is not different. The opposing, the, the opposing, the oppressed, uh, the oppressed throughout the world throughout the world are screaming out loud that they can't breathe everywhere we look. Everywhere we look. And I don't know what it is about everyone else's cognitive dissonance and about white comfort that drowns that out. I mean, it's, a, it's like we've gotten, the, the plan has gotten so good that even black and brown people are arguing about the death and defending the deaths of other black and brown people. I'm sorry, what? What is happening right now? Right? It's not even like happening right now. All I'm saying is that we have enough evidence to stop that argument. If we're really understanding, if we're really not even understanding, you don't even have to understand this all. Just look at it. I don't understand. I, I am just trying to realize how many people that we walk around are actually not seeing these people, any people, brown people, oppro um, oppressed people as actual other human beings. I mean, I don't need all of the rhetoric. I don't pick sides of like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pro-Palestinian, I'm pro-Israeli. No, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm pro-oppressed, okay? What I'm saying is that something is unbalanced. There's a, there's a rip in the force. Okay, and it's been there a long time. And the longer that we feed our children the lies of colonization and not the truth of the oppressed people, we are continuing the perpetuation of white supremacy and we have to check ourselves. It's not easy, it's difficult. It's difficult, you know? I mean, we have to be able to put it down and put it aside and understand that it's one way is not the right way. And the sense of urgency for the, for the idea of, of solidifying a solution is also not the right way. We, we actually have to amend the rift. We actually have to stop and talk to the people who are oppressed. White folks have to understand they do not have the answer. They have the pain. They are the colonizing group. The, the systems that create white privilege is the problem all throughout the whole world. I mean, you know, like, when you start to look at how in real time the scenario of the, Palestine, the Palestinians and Israelis happened, I didn't even realize because I'm not a buff in that area at all. Like I had to research because my education has failed me greatly. <laughs> I, ha as an adult, I've had to research what it really was that was happening, and I had to actually think to my to understand that I didn't understand how in the world I didn't understand how in the world this these folks got passed around in the first place, right? And then I, I started to look at the who was involved in, in creating the Israeli state, and it was from white folks, again. And I'm like, well, how do you move one group of people into somebody else's group of shit, and then say, that's your shit now? And then they get to, and then we get to decide 
that were, look, what, wait, slow down, wait, what, I mean, we still haven't actually stopped the problem in any way, I don't understand, maybe someone can jump on chat real quick, and someone can jump in my comments real quick, and explain to me what, in, in what ways, who and how, are we continually in the system, continually creating a system that at the same time we are saying is wrong, and then we're, we're headed overseas to everywhere we can possibly reach to and create that same broken system there too. You understand? I, uh, and then all of us are paying, uh, you know, we're talking about the taxes and we're talking about all the things that we can do. You know, sorry, my sister just walked by and she's talking it all in the background. There she goes. Um, sorry, y'all. But uh, you know how it is, family life out here. Uh, so anyway, I'm just, I'm just rambling because I'm, I'm, it's just in my mind thinking about the systems that are the curriculum that we're taught and the curriculum not just being the words on the, on the academic books, but the curriculum that we're taught when we, when we tell the white kids you know, uh, when we don't tell the white kids about the truth about black, black and brown uh, history and brilliance and con contribution and lack of equity due to white comfort. When we don't tell the white kids about it, we're feeding a curriculum of oppression and superiority, right? When we tell, we feed our black and brown kids the story of slavery and oppression and the story of, of hatred and the separatist ideas throughout the entire world based on the strife of religion and the religious doctrines in between. We don't tell the stories of how we got to where we are. We're perpetuating the same thing. And then we have the fear of our comrades, the fear of our counterparts, the fear of the people around us to say that we're anti-Semitic or the fear of saying that we're, you know, that for some reason we don't, we don't understand the whole story because colonizers have a right. I don't understand that. They wouldn't be colonizers if they had a right. They wouldn't be taking it. They wouldn't have to destroy everything that was there before we got there for it to be what it is. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, how are y'all doing? How's everybody out there? I told you this, this episode for me is just a real thought process for me. Um, it's, a, it's about learning how this all came about. It's about kind of just researching the commonalities of oppression throughout different countries. Um, not that my, my education has taught me differently, but you know, like I said earlier, I'm 44 years old. I remember hearing about this, this Israeli-Palestinian conflict on NPR, riding in the car, home from elementary school, when my parents were listening to it, you know, I mean, it was, it was something that has been going on for all of my lifetime. It's been going on for all of my lifetime. And I, you know, when I started thinking about the Hamas, I don't condone at all, like, you know, pipe bombings and or suicide bombings at all but then I have to like look at the parallels of the narrative that the Israeli state and or not even them but the United States colonizing perspectives of the Hamas and then I started to think about it I was like, dang, that sounds like, that sounds like 
something that is quite familiar in these here United States, right? And I started to think about it and I was like, if I took out the complexity of the British Union or the British folks being involved and I took out the complexity of the UN being involved and I just looked at the two the two groups Palestinian Israeli groups I feel like and I may not know because like I said I'm teaching myself I feel like the issue could have been resolved differently <laughs> I don't know, but I feel like if the, colon the colonizing perspective wasn't put in place and said, hey, we're going to move these people into your shit, and I need y'all to just work it out, but we're going to give these people a little bit more because we can actually benefit from their, from their colonization of that space, I don't know. It seems like the outcome may have been different. Maybe not. I could totally be wrong. I'm just saying there was a power dynamic that didn't have to be there that was put in place. Um, and, and it has been an, a, a complete S, you know, a complete shit show from the very, 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 very get go. You know, moving people into where other people are already living is just something that like, it's not generally a cool move. You know what I mean? It's not generally something people would take lightly. I mean, I don't know, but I wouldn't appreciate it. I don't know any other oppressed group that would, considering that is the problem. They were there. Um, so, you know, anyway, I, I'm trying to get, I don't, I don't see any comments. I'm assuming y'all just don't want to talk about it. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. I get it. I get it. <laughs> But um, I just thought perhaps people might be thinking about this. I just thought perhaps with the new evidence, you know, with the new stories of police murder in the United States um, and us constantly trying to switch a narrative into who did what, who has the power to do who and how, that we could recognize and kind of extrapolate what is the common factor in these issues and then talk about how we can get from underneath that. How can we get from underneath it, y'all? It seems hard to get from underneath this, this, this white colonizing oppressive thought process. White colonizing oppressive money-making machine. Hey, look. I am not anybody who is not guilty of living within white supremacy. I'm a black person in the United States. I've absolutely lived within white supremacy. I still do. I still go to the grocery store in Hawaii that is not a local grocery store because I can barely find one, but I'm just saying, right? We do that. I got to pay my taxes and the taxes go straight to militarization of the people who I'm trying to help spread the word of liber liberation, right? I still, you know, struggle with the ideas of patri you know, uh, patriarchy. We're all here. We're all living our lives. We're all doing the best that we can. I just want to interrupt with all of my heart, the cognitive dissonance that allows colonizing people to rationalize, to rationalize killing other people. It's the same kind of cognitive dissonance that would, dissonance that would, tell, that would tell you to bring your eight-year-old daughter, six-year-old son to a lynching for lunch. It's the same kind of dissonance that would that the cognitive distance that will allow slaveholders and people who were not slaveholders to understand 
or to sympathize with the idea that they would have to beat their slaves to death if they wouldn't produce enough cotton. You know, it's the same level of, of cognitive dissonance that in the perinatal and birthing world, black and brown bodies, black and brown babies and birthing people are dying at alarmingly high rates in comparison to their white counterparts without any difference in social economic status, which means you can be rich and black and still have racism and the ideas behind racism affect whether or not you will live through your birth. And honestly, it is nationwide five times higher, not depending on the social economic status, that if you're a black and brown birthing person, you will not survive it comparatively to your white counterparts. Four or five times higher. This isn't happenstance, y'all. This is facts. This is racism. This is oppression. This is colonization. This is a reimagined system of equity. Right? I'm just saying, I'm saying all of this because we need more people on the streets. We need more people on the ground. We need more people refusing to cooperate with systems that are innately inequitable. There should have been, we, we've got to have more people speaking out. The cognitive dissonance is what's killing people. It's how people are sleeping through, sleeping through the murders. I mean, just the most recent murder in Louisiana that, that has surfaced, where the cops beat this man so severely, tased him to death, and then had the audacity to tell the family he died in a car accident. Video cameras now had just come out to say that this man, to show them beating him and to show his camera, their cameras being show, taken off. In 2021, we can no longer accept white tears. We can no longer accept, I feel so terrible. We have to look and listen for the friends and the cousins and the family and the grocer who just has that small little racist thing to say. And we need to get them out. We need to create safe space. We need to create safe culture. We need to create a reality that's actually inclusive of everyone's experience. We need to look at our white counterparts and we need to have a sit down about privilege. And I know that people are like, oh God, I'm doing as much work as I possibly can. I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm studying, I'm studying, I'm going out, I'm doing my thing, oh my God. Yeah, and I want you to realize that what you're reading about is about black people. And what you need to be reading about is about white people and cognitive dissonance. That's what we need to be reading about. We need to be talking about why it's so hard. We need to be talking about what makes it what makes colonization, what makes white culture, not white culture, but colonizing culture, so blind to the oppression for white people, but evident and blaring for black and brown people. And somehow the, the, cognit the, the connection of, of, of understanding in that experience has been, has been disconnected or it has been foggy, or has been in a space where you just don't, you just can't talk about it. It's even talking about it out loud is, is in, in white colonized culture is taboo, is rude, is in bad form, all of these things, right? Why is it a courageous conversation to have to talk about racism? Who is it hurting to talk about it? Who is it hurting to experience it? And why, when the people who are experiencing it talk about it, do white people need more comforting? I know at this point we probably have talked about this a thousand fifty-five times, but we're going to talk about it a thousand fifty-five times more.
I want to help because I'm tired. I'm tired of it internationally being something that we're not attributing to colonization. We're not attributing it to white supremacy. We're not attributing it to white people. We're not attributing it to privilege in a real way that is an internal process. The internal process is the part that isn't happening for privileged people. And that isn't fair to even the people who want to change or who want to not change but see it, right? They want to see what the hell's going on. They like they value their neighbors. They're like, I you keep telling me I don't get it, and I'm going, I don't get it, and I don't know why I don't get it. <laughs> privilege is real, y'all. And privilege means it's like talking to the fish about the water. This is an internal process. When people say you gotta do the work, or white people gotta do the work, you gotta do the work, man. And white people are going, I'm I'm reading as fast as I can. And I'm going to as I'm marching as fast as I can march. Like I am there with my signs. And then I go home and I talk to my cousin and he's racist and I don't know what to say to him. There's a disconnect because I don't want to fight with him. I don't want to disown him. I don't want to have this rift between us. That's where the investment is. And that's the bigger picture of who you associate your life with. If racism is all around us and it's in the people that you love, and at the same time you have a love for the people over here, I think that is a conflict and an internal conflict. When you are invested in anti-racism, it is not a difficult conversation to have because this is not about judgment. This is about human rights. This is not about judging anybody's character. This is about misinformation and misplaced hatred. That's how I look at it. Now, I mean, come on. There are some people out there, you know, who got me all the way twisted. But at the same time, there are people out there who are literally walking around not understanding how much more they can read and not get it. You know, I talk to professors all the time, all the time on a regular basis, PhD level professor, I mean PhD, right? You would think that at some point they, that you would internalize the process. But if you can't actually see the water, because you're the fish, internal, internalizing that process can be hard to do. But if you've got, if you value black and brown voices and the experience that we are watching across the world or that we are watching down the street or that you are watching, you know, in, in the same very country and you can't switch the narrative to go, why is it black and brown people have been saying the same thing forever and white people have been saying the same thing forever? And the only thing I read about is white people's journey through black brown people's land. Oh, I never looked at it that way. Why is it that when I read a thing, read things and I get triggered because I see ra the word racism or I see the word black and white or I feel like this is, this is divisive because I don't know how to connect the two in empathy and compassion. It's either me or them. That's an internal process. That's a question for yourself to answer to why there is there such a connection to the, the I was going to say imperial state, which is hilarious, but um, why is there such a connection to the colonizing state, to the system, that at that point you would rather protect the system and the way things are usually done and generally white comfort to rather understand that perhaps systemically there's been division and perhaps black and brown people all over the world might have something to complain about. It seems to be difficult. Internal processing is always difficult. But I can only tell you the answers to why these conversations require courage when you are not oppressed, 
is because you're living in comfort. And why these conversations are of courage when you are oppressed is because you're trying to survive the very white supremacy that they don't believe is happening. And I say they, meaning the people that you're trying to be heard, that you're trying to get to hear you. That's the whole thing. It's like that audacity of comfort, of, of, that, of that demand of comfort, that when we see oppressed people fighting back with missiles, we see oppressed people fighting back in, in horrific ways, we can easily say that they are the bad person because they didn't come peacefully. They didn't hear what we had to say. They fought back. I mean, coming from an oppressed group, when colonization comes through, when people come into your space and say you must change it without any regard to your culture, language, life, and or joy, that feels like an apocalypse. So I don't know who doesn't fight back. Who wouldn't fight back? Who continues to fight back? And I guess the success would be when the colonized group can call themselves successful is when they have got the opposed group or the oppressed people to stop fighting altogether. And then peace, peace, but for who? But for who y'all, I'm asking. I don't know, but I totally know. And I think y'all know too. Um, so anyway, I, I just, you know, anyway, today, here's Sunday and, and here's my two cents your black girl from Eugene, um, and I'm out here trying to live life as peacefully as I can, trying to educate as sincerely as possible, and I'm just really hoping that people who are listening and hearing me, that you're appreciating the time that's being taken. I appreciate the, t the effort that you're taking. I appreciate everyone showing up every day every sunday to hear my show everyone else showing to all the other podcasts and and group groups that you attend and and any of the white folks who are putting themselves in uncomfortable positions and staying there until they realize that this discomfort is completely disproportionately uh to the to the to the experiences of colonized people everywhere and really the discomfort of white people only leads to a greater sense of compassion and understanding for themselves which is amazing but at the same time I would hope that you use that discomfort to connect and take time to build relationships and take time to build friendships and take time to really make sure that when you are in a space that was probably not yours in the first place that you show up as respectfully and as authentically yourself as you can there's no reason to be anything else unless you have some sort of direct need or really direct demand for your comfort needs to be met by people who are not whose responsible is not whose responsibility is not that so that's it you guys i'm gonna leave y'all at 48 minutes at this point i know it was not a full hour but um i am going to think more about this whole position that I have as someone who really does believe in allies. I believe in the, the, I believe in the Rainbow Coalition. I believe that white folks and black folks and brown folks, I believe in multiculturalism. Can, we can all do this together, but I am not of the mind that we skipping over steps to get it done. You know, if we can't get white folks to up to par, then we, it's just not going to work out like that. Like it's it's over for the for the st status quo. It's over for that. Right. It's over. We need people to step up in real authentically authenticity and just say, I don't know. I thought I knew, but I don't know anymore. What the heck do I do in this space? And we go, OK. All right. Sit in that space. Get comfortable with your uncomfortability. Keep going. 
that's all that's all you know and at some point we're gonna we're gonna have a meeting of the minds we're gonna have a meeting of the heart and at some point we can tell you know we'll at we'll create a system at some point we will vote people in who sound like the people in which we sit next to you know that people who are trying to make this world an equitable space although we look at it in the united states it's hard to see that the person we're sitting next to might be Billy Bob, who, who, um, and no offense to all the Billy Bobs out there, uh, but who, who really would love to silence anybody that looks like me, or or anybody else that's black and brown in this world. We got a lot of inner work to do. We got a lot of trauma to get over. We got a lot of healing to bridge, in order to work forward in anti-racism uh, and to create anti-racist culture let alone being anti-racist ourselves, uh, you know, or yourself, really. And for me, you know, I'm, I'm always on the fight. I'm always in the fight for white folks to show up. I'm always in the fight for black folks to show up, for brown people, for brown people to show up, for black people. I'm always behind the, dis, the dissolving, the dissolution of what white folks, white privilege the institution, the system, has come in the middle of our harmony and disrupted it. I'm always for looking at the person who's the main character in all the disruption and say, what's going on with you? I'm the one in the background going, I see who is in this room mixing up the trouble and then leaving people left to fight it out on their own and somehow they still benefit. It's maddening that we can be so blind to being played so hard anyway you know I love y'all and if you are learning anything from my podcast please consider joining my over at patreon.com uh, forward slash black girl from Eugene underscore one um, a donation of five dollars keeps me going ten dollars will get you a video um, ever, I believe I'm doing about twice a month. I'm sorry, y'all. This, I'm, I'm even, even as I'm telling you, this month has been crazy, but I owe you at least one. And then we've got $25 tier, which you can schedule a time to meet with me, and we will talk about race, equity, spirituality, how it all connects um, every single month, and uh, we will do it to the heart's content. So please, if you are um, enjoying these podcasts, support me on patreon and if you cannot support me monetarily please leave a comment and um and a rating that also helps follow me on instagram facebook and of course listen to my podcast on wherever podcasts can be found now i know we're going into summer season and i realize that we are um not really into hoodies at this point but i did get a bunch of hoodies they're not thick hoodies. They're kind of like a thin sweatshirt with a hood. Um, they are crazy comfortable, and I have more of them. So if you are interested or you are on back order, please contact me in my DMs, and I will get them out to you as soon as I can. With all the love in the world, here I am, Aisha Elliott, and this was Black Girl from Eugene.